0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 34 of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am super excited for this week's episode. I have Jordan Rubin on the show. He's the enhancement coach, a professional speaker, a published author, and his mission in life is to help as many people as possible stop living lives they hate and stay rooted in their purpose in the everyday aspect of life. Jordan's book Trapped in a Box was just recently released and he talks about the writing process for that as well as his story coming up from... Going to high school and then into college and kind of feeling like that wasn't the path that he was supposed to be taking and having that lack of congruency with being in college and that leading to kind of a downward spiral. He talks a lot about that downward spiral and pulling himself out of that to become the transformational coach that he is today. I'm super stoked to get into the episode with Jordan. Before we do, I wanted to take a minute to talk to you guys about the goal setting seminar that I have planned called Turning Resolutions into Results. That's going to be a webinar that will be held December 21st. If you are interested in some more information on that, please feel free to reach out to me. We set New Year's resolutions and they always seem to fail because they're not specific enough and we don't have the accountability that we need throughout the year. This goal setting seminar is intended to solve both of those problems problems. I'll help you set very specific goals, help you set a time frame in which those are realistic to achieve, and provide you with the accountability that you need throughout the year to make sure that you crush them and that 2021 doesn't turn into be another year where you're just trying to accomplish 2020's new year's resolutions. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Jordan. Hey Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show it was, uh Really great meeting you over at Unleash you now, which was a uh, for those of you that were uh, are listening and were unable to be there, it was an amazing amazing experience and uh great meeting you there and appreciate yeah you
0: you. we made so many great connections there, like for the first time that it was at a three day conference, that event was unbelievable, and I feel like my listeners have heard me talk about nothing else for the last three days so yeah. Um, I actually did a, um, Facebook live video the other day where it was like a sorry, not sorry for talking about this all the time, but we met so many amazing people and that's where we connected and I loved your story. So I'm super excited for you to share it and inspire all the listeners. Um, so why don't you go ahead and start with what it was like for you growing up? And, um, I know that you have an interesting story with that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's perfect. I love sharing my story. I mean, that's the the main focal point of my talks is always based on my story and my experiences. Now, uh, for me growing up, you know, I am I'm sure you're expecting like, Oh man, this guy must've grown up like in poverty or something and had to overcome all these, uh, financial and physical hurdles. But actually growing up, I had like extreme stability, which, uh, you know, a lot of times you don't see that in someone who's a speaker based on their story. It's not as much about the, the, um, you know the adversity. You you would expect a lot more adversity. Now for me, I had a lot of consistency. It was look, all that my meals were pretty much taken care of. My, I had both parents in the house. Um, never had to worry about you know when my next meal was going to come. Like it was all pretty stable. My one responsibility was like, you got to get good grades, and ultimately get into college, and then get a job, and then everything else is going to be taken care of after that. So it was pretty much like that was it. Growing up, now this being my one responsibility, not the one thing was I. I didn't understand the purpose of getting good grades. I'm like, well, why am I doing this? Like, oh, it's just to. <laughs> it's so that you can go to school because that's the only way you're going to be able to make money. And and I kept thinking that this was like the path I had to take. And and actually, in my community growing up, a lot of my friends were down that same path. So I kind of felt, you know, and this is something I talk about in my book as well. Is like mindset, environment, and relationships. Um, Like the people around me too, the environment and like the people I associated with, it was all about getting the good grades. It was all about going to the top university and then becoming a a lawyer, a doctor, um, something along those lines. For me, I feel like I actually had an, I don't talk about this as much, but I feel like I did have an entrepreneurial spirit at a young age, but I never took action on it because it wasn't it wasn't like something that was promoted. Like, Oh yeah. Start a business. It was like, don't start a business, go to college, get a job and, you know, start a family, get the white picket fence and all that. But um, yeah,
0: I feel as like it turned have, out that was
1: not for me, but
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I feel like so many people, especially from our generation have that same, um, kind of idea growing up. And I don't know if it came from schools or if it comes from parents or the societal shift, but so much it's go to school, go to college, get a good job, get the wife or husband and kids. Um I'm curious to know was your were you a first generation college student or had your parents gone to college as well?
1: So my parents went to school as well. So I was a second generation college student. But um I actually know where, oh excuse me, I have a theory as to where that comes from, where the whole the whole cultural push to go to college. Now, um, you know, I actually have a this whole theory about that because think about it like this. The education system, you know, the teachers, the principals, they're always, 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 always saying, get good grades, go to college. Like you heard that all the time. No, no guidance counselor at your school told you, hey, you know what? You could start your own business or, oh, you want to be a musician? Yeah, go be a musician. Like you're never going to hear that. Yeah. It's always going to be something about what are you gonna do when you go to college? Not if, but when. So get this, who controls the education system? The government, right? <laughs> now who? Now, now, think about this, who actually is in charge? Who actually makes sure that, you know, controls who gets elected? The, the ultimate, you know, 0.1% of wealthy individuals. Like those corporations are the ones that are lobbying And paying for a lot of these campaigns that help people get elected. And these multi-billion dollar corporations, they don't want to create another generation of entrepreneurs. They don't want to create another generation of competition. They want to create more employees to help them grow their empire.
0: You know, that's like like some conspiracy theory (laughs) shit right there but oh yeah the word's out (laughs) (laughs) i can't disagree with you because if you think about it like there's documented information out there that our education system where we get our grading from like the a b c d e and f comes from the industrial revolution and it's exactly what you were just talking about you had these these people that were running these factories you know and you had the people who ran the world basically Mm-hmm. And they needed factory workers. And so they started grading people. And then that turned into the education system that we have. Um, I don't know if consciously it goes as far as kind of what you're talking about, although I see that being the- uh, Well,
1: it might not be a, and sorry, to interrupt. I don't think it's a like a whole scheme. I think it's just set up that way. And they're not motivated to change anything about it because it's no.
0: benefiting them. They're definitely not. And I mean, I have this conversation with people a lot, um, especially in the way that the education system is set up right now, because we learn so many things that don't matter. And Mm. I mean, I am thankful that I know the things that I know, but I would have loved to learn like financial security. I would have loved to learn more about entrepreneurial type stuff. And we don't, we don't talk about any of that. It's, what high school is meant for is to get you into college. And what college is meant for is to get you into grad school. I don't know anything that from law school that actually helps me in my career. It was all to get me to pass the bar. And then you learn how to do your job once you're in the field.
1: Mm-hmm. And That's crazy that it goes back, back as far as college too. It's not just high school. It's literally law school, which is like one of the most prestigious Post-secondary schools you can go to it's like, oh you're going to law school, you're getting the top education, and as you're saying it, none of that actually or very little of that actually really benefited you in your in your law career, right
0: yeah, I mean like i I don't want to make it sound like law school was pointless um, right right um, stuff and obviously like what you learn in law school, I guess the best way to describe it is what you learn in law school is where to find the information that you need throughout your career because there's no way that you can learn everything about the law. So instead you learn where and how to find the information that you need. And then you learn like, I mean, there was a lot of information that was on the bar. Maybe it's because of the type of law that I practice, cause I practice criminal defense and immigration. The like mm. 90% of the shit I learned in law school doesn't matter, but um, right. don't tell my schools that.
1: <laughs> of course not. Hopefully so, they don't listen to the podcast.
0: Right? Well, hopefully they do and they just don't say anything to me, but no, I, um, I wanted to make a comment though, before we move on, on your story, because we're going to get into really where your life starts to change from this path that you're on to just go to school. And you made a comment that, um, you had this stability growing up. And I think what's really important about you sharing your story is so many people. And I was in this group for a little while get caught up in the, my hardship isn't as bad as this Mm. hardship. And so they don't tell their story. So what gets out there is all of these amazing inspirational stories of people who have overcome this great adversity. And then what happens is the more, I guess, centralized, I was going to use the word normal, but I don't want to say that, more centralized um, group of population that has these everyday struggles kind of feel like, their struggles don't matter because they're not these, ex- these huge struggles. And so I love that you still mm-hmm. shared your story and still wrote your book. But when I heard you talk at um, Unleash You, I l- it was really interesting to hear you go into your story as to where you kind of started to derail in college. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Got to relive the moment. So <laughs> kind of fast forwarding from what I was talking about earlier. I did get the good grades in high school. And, you know, I remember that really clearly. It was kind of like, and I'll I'll talk a little bit before I went into college too. Yeah. yeah. I Go ahead. Because it was kind of like a, like a, a climax. Like, like I finally reached what I was looking for, but then it was anticlimactic after I went to college. But, um, you know, really in high school it was like, this is my goal. I need to get the good grades. I need to get into UGA. I, I wanted to actually get in on a, a swimming scholarship. So it was like, You know, I was a swimmer in high school, so my two things that I focused on was swimming and getting my good grades, and that was pretty much it. And I had, like, a a little bit of a social life, so uh, it was pretty much those two and a half things that I really focused on, and, uh, you know, I actually, I did get accepted into UGA and uh, didn't get the swimming scholarship, but I did really, you know, I really enjoyed my time on the swim team, and I felt like I worked towards and accomplished a lot of my goals there. And it was kind of like, once I got there, like, I remember at my, like, official graduation ceremony, it was like, I did it, like, I'm going into the top school, I'm, I'm walking around there, like, oh, I'm University of Georgia bound, I got the good grades, and I'm gonna end up making the money, and I'm, I'm gonna have this, uh, you know, just amazing experience. And then when I actually got there, I was like, shoot, more studying, more <laughs> classes, more grades, like, really, this is it, like? Of course, I have a little bit more freedom because I'm a, you know, an adult, but I'm not a, like not a student, but I was like, man, this is it. And, you know, also at this point, I wasn't around the same friends that I had hung out with in high school. Now I kind of expanded my horizon. I moved in with three roommates, all of them drank, most of them did drugs and had friends who did the same thing. So naturally, you know, you become the average of the five people you're around the most. I started doing those things too. Like I would go out. I remember the first time I, I went out drinking on a Thursday night. Ended up skipping all my classes on a Friday, and then ultimately that became a regular thing. And I was just doing this every single weekend. A lot of times during the week, it could be a Monday, it could be a Tuesday. It didn't really matter. All, yeah, all s- the days that ended why. uh, right
0: were you separated from your family enough that they couldn't really see what was going on or what was their reaction to this
1: that is a really good question so that first semester they were I want to say because you know I was about an hour away from home and I would still go home at least once or twice a month so I would still see them but I think they were suspicious but they didn't say anything because they were like okay you know maybe he's just having a good time in college it wasn't like they were super like oh my gosh is he drinking like what is this guy doing like they didn't understand that I was and and I wasn't really drinking to have fun like I was drinking to it was a way of coping with my lack of fulfillment in life and thinking shoot what happens after college like I'm just gonna get a job and be miserable like a lot of other people that's what I thought and I thought it was inevitable that's why I really started drinking
0: It's so interesting that you were able to have that foresight because I feel like so many people are so stuck in the moment at college that they're like, okay, this is what I need to do. And they don't get that, oh crap, it's over. I got to get a job now until they're close to graduation. And that's when they normally derail. It's really interesting to me that you knew at the beginning of your college career that like this is going to suck and I don't want to go down this road.
1: Well, I mean, in a sense, college was pretty difficult, too. So when I when I got back my first, I remember it was like a biology exam my freshman year. I got like a 60 on it or something and was looking at it like, shoot, man, I actually studied for this. Now I'm going to have to study harder. And then and then I start thinking, like, why am I even doing this? Like, my parents aren't here to yell at me for getting <laughs> getting a 60% on a test. So it's like, I'm kind of sitting there thinking, why? Like, well, what happens if I just fail out? Which I ultimately did fail out that class. I dropped it. So it didn't count as a fail, but that's a whole nother story. But (laughs) I just started thinking like, well, I I was in the moment, but I tried to ignore, like I was, let me put it this way. I was thinking like long-term, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? I know I don't want to work for someone else. I know I don't want to be sitting behind a desk being told what to do. And, you know, I see how many other adults really just go to their job every single day and hate it. And I just think that's no way to live. But at that moment, I thought this is inevitable. This is just what an American adult does. And eventually I'm going to get there. And therefore I should be living out the best four years of my life right now, right at that moment.
0: That's so that, interesting. That was kind of the I was at there. Yeah. And I feel like, and you mentioned this in your talk at um, unleash you. But I feel like that's kind of the the mental state that we're put in is you graduated high school, now go to college and have fun, but learn. Because once you graduate from college, your life is basically over and you go to work. That's kind of the way that people are are taught. And then they're mm-hmm. surprised when people go off to college and they experience some of the same things you did with drugs and alcohol, especially if that's not something that You were um, exposed to in high school and had to face that adversity,
1: mm-hmm. right? And, and I would agree with that. And that's why a lot of a lot of adults, you'll also see them go back to their college town. It seems like they're spending their whole whole adult life just saying, "Man, I got to go back to those college years and you know tailgate for the games and everything." Like you see that because they hate their jobs, they hate their life now, and they want to go back to that. Me personally, like the only reason I'd want to go back to my school is to speak. Really, that's one of the big reasons I'd want to go back to my school to teach people.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Back to that party atmosphere.
0: What? How long did this um, kind of downward spiral last for you? And what was it that finally pulled you out of it and said, "Okay, this is not the life I want to live"?
1: So, I would say about a year and a half. um, Yeah, a year and maybe a couple months of change. But yeah, my entire freshman year. Well, I would say it's a couple different phases. So my freshman year was really a negative transformation, transformation from the, from the good kid who followed the rules, got the good grades to the alcoholic guy. That's just going out partying all the time. It was like a, a mental and physical shift into that person. And then my second semester of my freshman year, I was like, you know, already in that mindset that I'm, I'm the guy that goes out and parties. And I did that for my freshman year and the beginning of my sophomore year. Then about halfway through my sophomore year was when I really, you know, I feel like this was a, this was a real wake up call. Like I, I very easily could have died right then. It would have been like a downward spiral and then boom, end of my life. But I basically a couple of friends and I, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So my school's in Athens, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half outside Atlanta for those of you looking at the map. And uh, we drove up to Gatlin, siege about four or five hours you know, it was a nice cabin. It was like a good place for the weekends, pretty much just spent the whole time drinking and playing drinking games, you know, typical, typical college movies. Like if you've seen any of those college movies, this is, this is like a, maybe a PG-13 version of that. Like that was the kind of lifestyle that I lived. And then, you know, it was about one or two o'clock in the morning. We decided to go out into the outdoor hot tub. It's like, 31 degrees outside. So you, you <laughs> run outside, it's blistering cold. And then you just jump in the hot tub and, you know, kept drinking in the hot tub and kept drinking a lot and passed out and Ooh. woke up a couple hours later, still in that hot tub. And and the scary part was I was the only one in that hot tub. And I think this is a, this is a metaphor I'm going to get into because I woke up, found out it was about 4:30 in the morning. So at least two hours of me in a body of water passed out. Like I, that's not something most people survive. Like that was a total, total luck thing. Or, you know, I, I believe it was spiritual intervention, but that's just me. Um, and that's where I really started to just think about my current situation. Like, how am I going to change this? Because every time I was out at the bars, you know, my friends were around when I was out there drinking, my friends were around when I was there. Like when, I, when I could have died, they were, they were not there. Like it was just me. And I feel like just that that whole next year it was just me overcoming those situations, you know, distancing myself from them, going back to focus on myself, and what do I really want? And um, uh, you know, I know this is a really long answer to that question, but to kind of wrap that up, I feel like my whole life up until college, it was me being told what to do by the right people for what they believe was the right reasons. Then it was the next year and a half, me being told what to do by the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And now it was time for me to finally wake up and say, I need to take charge of my life and do what's best for me.
0: I love that. I know that there's so much to unpack in that answer, um, but it was amazing. Um, one of the things that I'm interested to know, um, because I have a very similar story, but I pulled myself out of it um, before any um actual life-endangering thing. Like, and that's good. That's great. Um, but I know when I was in that moment, and I don't talk about it a ton, so for any of my family that's listening, surprise, but um I was drinking a ton. And I can remember, like when I look back now, I can remember multiple, multiple times that like my, um, I mean, a huge karaoke addict, and my karaoke DJ would have to take me to Denny's to sober up at the end of the night after, and we'd sit at Denny's for like two or three hours before I could even be sober enough to drunk drive home. And I um, probably did that for um, a good year at least. And um, when I got out of it, I looked back and I was like, you know, I was probably a functioning alcoholic and not really functioning well at that point in time, but I couldn't see it in the moment. So as you were going down that spiral, did you identify what you were doing or was it after you were out of it that you could see kind of how bad your life really was in that moment?
1: I wouldn't say I I realized how bad it was until I got entirely out. Like me looking back now, I'm like, man, I actually did those things. And sometimes I even hear stories about other people doing similar things. I'm like, man, like how do you go out and drink every single weekend? Like How do you... um, you know smoke weed every day like as people say like and then that was literally my lifestyle back then it's kind of hard for me to go back to that so I would say in the moment I felt like I was you know they say that from your point of view like from an evil person's point of view they feel like they're doing the right thing like someone who robs banks might say that oh I'm robbing banks so I can pay off I don't know college tuition which is a You know, it might be someone's motive, but, uh, you know, they feel like they're doing the right thing or have a good justifiable reason. And I felt the same thing. I felt that, you know, I had a lot of pent up frustration in my life and I felt that drinking calmed that in a very, very unhealthy way. But I justified in the fact that you get those emotions out through a good time drinking even though I was drinking way too much and completely damaging myself and others. So yeah, no, I would say in the moment I was completely unaware. Now, once I realized I could have died in that moment, I was like, okay, I do need to make some changes. Yeah.
0: There's definitely that, that moment. I mean, I know I can identify mine as almost getting, I mean, I got pulled over driving home and mm-hmm. definitely should have been in jail. Like there's no way right. that anybody thought I can was. Did you a warning? With, yeah, he just gave me a warning and let me go. And that was enough for me to be like, okay, Amber, this is stupid. Um, I, you talked about being in, um, high school and being told what to do by the right people and then getting into college and being told what to do by the wrong people. Um, I have kind of a two part question for you. First of all, how much of identity crisis did you have when you finally started to separate yourself and start to think Number one for yourself. And number two, um, you hadn't really had any friends with a positive influence. So you were like all alone. And then what it was what was it like for you to finally have to stand on your own two feet for the first time in your life?
1: That is a great two-part question. I would say, well, first of all, you know, a little disclaimer, I wouldn't say I didn't have any positive friends. I w- I mean, I definitely had positive friends from high school. It's just that they were going down their own path, like either back at home or at another college. I had a friend who, uh, who joined the military. So obviously hadn't seen him. So yeah, I would say at, at that particular moment in time, I did not have a lot of positive influence, but, um, yeah, it was very, very difficult. You know, when I was going through, see, cause I'd always adapted to my environment as most people do. And a lot of people do that their entire lives. So like when I was, to give you an example, if I was in middle school and I got a D or something on a report card, then I would feel like I did the wrong thing and, I, and that there would be corrective uh, behaviors in order to fix that. And so I, you know, I felt like if I didn't go out drinking in this other environment, then it'd be like, Jordan, why aren't you going out drinking? So I felt like I had always adapted to my environment. Now it was my first time to go out on my own. And a lot of times there was that sort of identity crisis or um or what do you call it um the whole paradox when you feel like you don't belong here you know what i'm talking about oh
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: what's the there's a term for it though i can't think of it
0: there um, is i can't think of it right now either
1: i had that feeling and it's just like am i doing the right thing and i even felt like i'm leaving behind the people that are my friends like i genuinely felt that even though it turned out to be really beneficial there wasn't really a tactful way for me to do that. Like I literally had to like, these were sure it was very dangerous and detrimental behaviors, but I mean, I, ha- I still, even now have good memories with these people, like, you know, yeah. have good fun memories can look back and say, Oh yeah, there was that one time, but I could not continue with that because I mean, you know, who knows next time I could be under the water in the hot tub and, and right. you know, that could have, so much worse, so I had to make that decision, and it was it was really difficult because I lived with a lot of these people the rest of my sophomore year, and a lot of times what I would do, and this is me i don't know if I've actually gotten this detailed about it, but you brought it out with your question, but um no, I would actually no I think I have shared this anyhow, I would pretty much have class from like i want to say eight a m till about three pm every day, so I'd get up early go to class. And then I'd come back and I worked like a, like a part-time job. So I do that for like the next four hours. And then I'd go to the library till like one or two in the morning, just to make sure that I was in a completely separate environment and uh, you know, just wasn't influenced by them. And every time I'd come back and be like, Jordan, come on, let's go drinking. Jordan, come on, let's go do this. And I, and I committed and I actually, this is one of the biggest, my biggest accomplishments that year, which you know, today looks like nothing, but back then that was the big accomplishment for me was to go back every single night and say no, when everybody else was doing it. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah. I feel like that was, that was a thing of willpower. You know, I made a commitment to change and I did it. And then from there I was able to kind of piggyback and make bigger commitments, like to making videos, to writing my book, like to doing all of these things. So
0: and did you have a resource that you used that you kind of found this personal development side that led to everything we're doing now? Or was it just this pure will that you couldn't live in that spot anymore?
1: Yes. I, I, yeah, I totally talked about this at the event as well. Um, Elliot Hulse, is that kind of what yeah. you were to draw out of me? So, uh, yeah, Elliot Hulse. Um, he, I really give him and his YouTube channel the, the initial credit for kind of pulling me out of the, the box I was in. Well, he just hit, he has some amazing videos. Like he's a, for those of you who don't know, definitely go follow Elliot Hulse on Instagram, follow him on YouTube. He's an amazing, genuine guy. He's a, you know, a li- little bit controversial in his, his new content, but back in the day, I mean, you know, he posts fitness content, but he also posts motivational content. And that's what really got me. And it was like, you know, what to do when your friends don't support you, what to do when your family doesn't support you how do you take charge of your life how do you get more confident and those things like I would commit every single morning to listening to an Elliot Hulse video just to make sure I was in the right mindset and I would That's do awesome. like you know he had breathing exercises and I would do all that and like how to handle conflict because I handled conflict pretty much regularly like Jordan what are you doing why aren't you going going to the bars with us tonight like conflict like being confident in my decision so and he was, definitely helped me a lot.
0: That's awesome. Was this idea of mindset and, you know, all the stuff that we obviously talk about now on a regular basis, was that ever discussed in your household or growing up at all?
1: Oh, all the time, all the time. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, my upbringing, I think it was the, the actual direction of like my parents and, you know, to be completely honest, they're a hundred percent want what's best for me and always have. So I think, you know, growing up, it was all about mindset. It was all about, you know, believing in yourself and, uh, you know, working hard like that. Those are all very good values. The thing is it was a little bit outdated, you know, back in the, in 1985, if you graduated, then the best thing for you would be to go to college when it's like, you know, tuition was much lower and there was actual like real value perceived like, whoa, this person has a college degree. Wow. Like that's incredible. Now it's like, everyone has a college degree. Now we want to see like those soft skills, like communication skills, creativity, things of that nature. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely talked about in my household. Like, you know, I come from a very Christian household. So it'd be a lot of, you know, I'm sure you've seen the movie Facing the Giants, right?
0: I have. Yeah. I love Uh, that movie. That's
1: great. Uh, You know, there's that whole talk with Uh, with Brock doing the whole walk across the field, man, like that, that movie was great. But yeah, this was always a common theme in in my household growing up.
0: That's awesome. No, that movie, and it's part of like a three or four part series. um, Oh, what? Yeah, you should look them all up. I'll send them to you. I can't think of the names of them all, but it's part of a three or four part series and they're all fantastic. But that scene in Facing the Giants is I mean, it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. It's oh, yeah. amazing. And for anybody who's listening, I'll post the link to it in the show notes because everybody on the planet should watch that video. Oh, absolutely. Um, what was it for you then that made you realize that your calling and your purpose was to share your story to help others not go down the same path that you've gone down?
1: Well, I think it was actually the idea came to me very shortly after I started making real transformational progress. so I'm going to start throwing out some random but potentially accurate dates. So obviously November 7th was like the day that I, um, you know, almost drowned in the hot tub, like 4.30 in the morning, November 7th. That's the date that I decided. I, it wasn't like 100% transformation. It was like, shoot, I need to do something about this. This is bad. Like I very easily could have died. Around maybe a couple weeks after that, I remember I went home for Thanksgiving break uh, back to my parents and finally had some time to be away. Actually, no, 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 no. Let me let me backtrack a little bit there. I had about, everybody else went home for Thanksgiving break. I still had a like part-time job there. So I stayed like in the house that we rented by myself for about three days. So that was my first time. Like I did not used to spend a lot of time by myself. That was my first time literally just being with myself and my thoughts, like really thinking what am I going to do about my future? I cannot keep doing this and I need to find a way to get out and be hundred percent confident in who I am. And, uh, from there, I really made a commitment. Like I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm going to work out every single day. I'm going to eat healthy. It was like everything. I'm just going to transform everything about me. And, uh, you know, I did that and I really, really stuck to it over the next couple months. And then that was when Elliot kind of came along and I was like, all right, now what if I could do this for other people? Because I guarantee I'm not the only one that's been stuck in that situation. Like, how do I help other people? And what if I could do that as a career so I don't have to work really hard and then go to a job that I hate? Yeah. So I started thinking that and then I didn't take action until much, much later. But the idea came around that time.
0: That's awesome. And one of of the favorite things about what you just said is is one of my favorite sayings and one of the things that has um, kind of, pushed me is the idea that change happens in an instance, but it's deciding to change that takes time. And so I love
1: in your story conference too. That was great.
0: Yeah. Um, I love the part in your story where you're, you just, you just have enough and all of a sudden you're like, okay, the alcohol's gone. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do this. And then you're just done with it. And I think that's important for people to understand that. Like, it doesn't have to be hard. You just have to want it.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't hard literally cuz like I remember when I when I got into the working out and eating healthy thing like I still worked out a little bit while I was like that whole semester but it's not something I really took seriously. Like I didn't do it every single day. I started as easy as possible. I literally pulled up YouTube videos of like 5-minute cardio you can do in your basement and I just did that every single day. That was, that was my one job and then I started doing it twice so it was 10 minutes. And just pretty much built up from there. And between, I wanna say between, so I guess December 23rd or something was when I started. Between then and the beginning of February, I lost about 15 to 20 pounds and, like, you know, felt a lot healthier as well, which is more important. So it's doable. You just gotta take action.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So at some point in time, you decide that you wanna turn this into a book. When does that idea come to you?
1: Oh, around the same time the the idea of a book comes to me, like it, the idea actually came pretty much around the same time that I was going through this transformation and decided I want to be a speaker. Like I want to be able to speak to people. I want to be that, you know, and more than a speaker, a coach, like someone who can actually help transform people's lives, whether it's through videos, whether it's through one-on-one, whether it's through blogging, I was like, I'm going to write a book. But the idea of writing my book didn't come till like about I was thinking, man, once I'm in my 40s or something and I've started all these businesses and I'm super successful, I'll write a book all about my life. It's going to happen one of these days. And then finally, um, I want to say, I actually wrote this down. Um, That's going to take too long to pull it up right now. But I got the exact date. It was like October 15th, 2016, when what I did was create like a mini vision board. And I basically took some other book cover that looked similar to what I wanted to write about and put trapped in a box. Like literally just, it's the worst Photoshop you can possibly imagine, <laughs> but it worked because I crossed out, um, whatever the title was said, trapped in a box, crossed out the author's name and said, written by Jordan Rubin. And just seeing that like, wow, that's my name. And that is a book cover. Shoot. This is real. I could actually make this happen. And it's, you know, talking about it and then looking at my own book, my own published book right over here, it's like wow, I I did it. And uh you know, once I actually committed to writing it, it was just a totally different mindset rather than dreaming and saying one of these days I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a published book about my entire life. Yeah. It's I love important. it.
0: And I love the cover for your book. So your book is called Trapped in a Box and Um, the title and everything that it stands for is so much along the lines of what this podcast is about this idea that there's only one way to get things done. And we kind of get put in this idea that you follow this path and then your life ends. And so I love what it stands for. Um, before we jump into the content side of this with success and fulfillment and all that amazing stuff, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your book if they want to read?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, there's actually a couple ways. The easiest is to go on Amazon. And I figured out you can find it by literally typing trapped in a box. And then my name, Jordan Rubin, and it's the first thing that comes up. Um, now, if you're domestic, like you live in the US, uh, the best way to actually get it, you'll get it for the same price. But uh, it also gives me a little bit of a, you know, Amazon takes a lot of the money when you buy it on Amazon. So uh, the best way you can support me too and get a signed copy is through a separate website called, it's Enhance Coaching Mentoring, one word, Coaching mentoring.bigcartel.com. So I nice. know that's a lot, but we can post that in the
0: yeah. Yeah. Well. If, if you send that over to me, I'll post it in the show notes before You know, We've heard a lot about your story and coming up to getting your book published, which just came out, and I'm sure you're super excited about that. Can you talk to me about kind of what success means to you at this point in time and how that idea of success has changed for you throughout the multiple parts of your story that we've talked about?
1: Yeah, I think the definition of success, what it really means to me, what it really means to be successful, I think... I have my own definition of success. I think you have your own definition of success. I think uh, you listening to this, you have your own definition of success as well. And it's, you know, maybe you want to just have a great relationship with someone and, you know, have the happy family and the job and be able to take vacations and benefits and all that. Maybe that's success for you. And that's great. Maybe success is you want to, make a lot of money and be a billionaire and, uh, you know, invest in all these corporations. That's great. If you're able to make that happen, that's great. That's success. Um, to me personally, success would be being able to change as many lives as possible. And I know that sounds very vague, but I mean, change lives in the way that people will be able to find their own definition of success and live it. Like if your definition of success doesn't match your actions, that's where depression, that's where misery seeks in. Like when my definition of success was me being a speaker and author, but I was, you know, working a nine to five job that I didn't really enjoy. I mean, the money was there and uh, the stability was there and the the growth potential was there as well. But I was like, I looked at the people, and this is a little bit later after I, long story short, I ended up graduating from UGA and working a a job for a, couple of months, which was, you know, like I just said, you know, you get, you get the payment, you get the benefits, but it was, um, ultimately I looked at the people who were really successful in that firm and it was just like, I wouldn't want to trade places with them necessarily. So I think that was the biggest thing. And then I took action on my own definition of success and I love
0: it. And, and, you know, I think what's so crazy about finding this world of personal development and mindset and these events that we go to is that it gives us the freedom to define our own idea of success. Like so many times, like when we don't know this world exists, we think that that's the only way and that we're supposed to um, work for retirement and then live our life then. And what has really opened up for me over the last couple of years of really digging into these different events is that it doesn't have to be that way at all. You can have your life be however you want it to be. Um, You can have that corporate job if you want it to be, or you can sell like crap for fly fishing and like have a successful life that way. Um, And I just love that we're starting to get the word out that it doesn't have to be uniform. Right. When do you think along your journey that you really finally started to feel fulfilled in what you were doing?
1: Who that is a good question. I think, Hmm. When I started to finally feel fulfilled, I would say probably just over this last year, I think it gets a little bit better every single year. I feel like 2016 was kind of me just getting out of the box, just getting out of that environment. 2017 was about me becoming the strongest version of myself. Uh, 2018, um, kind of thinking back the years, 2018 was about me, um, getting out of my comfort zone, getting around the right people. And then 2019 now is me finally like going all in, you know, getting to go to unleash you, getting to speak at other conferences and other events and just, uh, you know, publishing my book, like just, just finally making my mark as this is who I am and going in full time. I feel like I would actually, you know, I'm going to say April, um, April 20th of this year or something, something around then.
0: Nice. That's and, a uh, very specific date.
1: Yeah, it was pretty, I'm trying to think of the, the time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's when I actually officially left my nine to five job, you know, no hate to them. I mean, you know, I appreciate the time I was, I had working there, but it was finally like I had, I was a hundred percent in charge of my schedule after that. It was like, I'm not going to go down this path and work for them for the next 40 years and then, you know, get my benefits and all that stuff. It was finally like, I'm going out on my own and I'm making this a reality. I'm going to be a I'm an entrepreneur. So once I did that, it was like, all right, the journey has begun. Like there's actual stake involved in this. There's actual risk. I need to, to go out there. And so I feel like that's when I felt like I'm confident enough to Say I'm Jordan Rubin, the enhancement coach, and I don't just have to be Jordan Rubin, the enhancement coach, on social media, and you know, be Jordan Rubin, the IT auditor when I went into work. So I felt like I didn't have to put on that Clark Kent outfit, and I could just be Superman full time.
0: Yeah, I love it. I was actually just having this conversation with a bunch of people a little while ago. I posted something on my Facebook page about um, asking people what their definition of freedom was, um, mm. because or I'm sorry asking people what their definition of success was and so many people said I'll be success I'll be successful when I have freedom. And I'm like, well what the hell is your definition of freedom? Mm. Because like so many people I have more freedom. I feel like I have more freedom now than I had when I was working for somebody but I have much less time. So if people associate freedom with like not having to be somewhere at a particular time and having a bunch of extra time like that's you're not going to be fulfilled in this, in this life. Um, so it's crazy for me. Like once you start thinking about it in the entrepreneurial world that all of us that think that we have more freedom, we feel that way and we have so much less time and it's crazy how that works.
1: No, it's insane. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm just thinking like when I was working my other job, yeah, it was like I have to work for someone else from about eight 30 like five 30 or six. But once I got home, there was like no, no requirement for me to do anything else. I could sit out, watch Netflix, go for a walk, go to an event. Now it's like, I have so much less time. I get much less sleep. And it's like, I always need to be doing something. Cause I always got something on my to-do list and have to do something. So I definitely have less free time, but more freedom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And- um, so you've done so much between speaking and then jumping out into the coaching arena and publishing your book, which has got to be one of the most like vulnerable and authentic things a person can do and all of these things I'm sure were completely uncomfortable can you talk about the conversations that you had to have with yourself to not fall back into kind of your comfort zone in your nine-to-five job
1: yeah I would say that um what do you mean by uh you know my comfort zone
0: Was there ever a point in time where you felt like you were so far out of your comfort zone that you just wanted to retreat into like this safe or were you completely done and just wanted to move forward?
1: I actually, yeah, I feel the latter because, you know, I felt like once I actually started taking the action, like once I made that commitment of myself, once I wrote those first couple words of my book, I felt like there's no turning back. Eventually at some point in the future, I'm going to be able to call myself an author uh, once I officially um, posted my first motivational video in 2017, I said, there's no going back. I'm a motivational speaker. And uh, um, yeah, I just feel like once I actually started with something, once I've put myself out into the world and people have seen it, then I'd be letting not just myself, but everybody else down by quitting. So I yeah, it. I guess it's you could call it social pressure, but um. You know, I, have just felt that way. I haven't felt like, man, I need to stop doing this. This is too much. It's like, okay, I'll take a break, but this is who I am. I'm going back into it for sure. I love
0: it. I love it. So if there's somebody listening to this, that is kind of like on the nine to five and they want to get out of that and they have these goals and, and dreams, um, what would be your advice to them on how to get started with that?
1: So I think first and foremost, you need to assess why you want to leave that nine to five job. Uh, like, cause a lot of people hate their jobs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to own a business because if they hate their jobs because it's too much work, (laughs) well, owning a (laughs) business is a lot more work. It's just the more, the aspect of what kind of work you're doing. So I think, you know, if you hate your job because of that, then really assess that, you know, what you're doing, you can find a more fulfilling job somewhere. I think that's the first thing you might want to look at because, you know, maybe, maybe that would work out for you. A lot of time. it's most important at first is to make sure you're not just going to jump out and then not have any money. And I, and I hate saying that because I, I don't want you to stay somewhere you hate just for the money. But if you hate something so bad because your, your boss treats you poorly or the work is awful and unfulfilling, then go find another job. There's lots and lots and lots of ways to get a job. There's lots of people hiring, go out and network, go on LinkedIn, go on Facebook and find another job or some other way to make money that's not making you miserable. That's step one. Now that you've got a job or opportunity that doesn't make you miserable, then your mental health is a lot better because you're at a job that you're like, eh, okay, this is cool. All right, I actually connect with the people around here. Okay, my boss is pretty chill. And now you have that kind of setting. So now you can really focus on your side hustle when you're not at work to kind of start building a business if that's ultimately what you want to do. So I would, you know, most people are just like, all right, I got to end this whole nine to five thing in general and make it like a huge, all right, I'm quitting and I'm never coming back. But, you know, it, it should, and this is something I read in a book from David Shands. I'll give a sh- shout out to him. He's down here in Atlanta. Uh, his entrepreneurial journey, he says, quitting your job should not be an emotional decision. It should be a logical one. So when you're finally ready to go and be an entrepreneur, it's because, you found another source of income that doesn't require you to have um, your boss around. Yeah, I uh, love
0: that. I love that. And I'm so happy that you started that with figuring out the why because I feel like in no matter Mm -hmm. what area we're talking about, people make emotional decisions because they think that that's what makes them unhappy. In relationships, in jobs, in moving to a new city, in everything, they're like, I'm unhappy with this. So you know, my spouse has to be the thing that's making me unhappy. And then they end up separating and they're still miserable because that really had nothing to do with it. Um, Or Mm. my job had a, My job is the reason I'm unhappy. And then they move their job and they're like, I actually liked that job. I was just upset because of this. And that's where, like, really digging down into the areas of your life. This is why I love the life wheel so much, because really digging down into your areas of your life and figuring out where you're really unhappy is so crucial before you can make this choice. Awesome. Well, I have really enjoyed your story and listening to you talk about your book and how you got from point A to point B before we wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round and let everybody kind of get to know you if you're okay with that.
1: Oh, I'm so okay with that.
0: All right. So other than your current profession, what do you think it would be fun to attempt?
1: Ooh. Um, and here's something I thought about at one point was, uh, and I I thought about this actually, I guess I was in college at the time. I thought about just what if I dropped out and, uh, just worked on a cruise ship. I worked on a cruise ship. Like literally, I'd be able to live, you know, wherever the cruise goes. Like literally, be on a cruise. Like I could be. Uh, I even thought about being a stand-up comedian too. Uh, <laughs> the thought <laughs> of it. Awesome. I know it sounds hilarious, but um, I mean, the profession itself is hilarious. But I thought, like, like what if I could do that? Like, what if I could just make people laugh and just travel to all these different countries, just not as a full-time, like, long-term career, but like for two or three years, just chill out, have no goals and just travel the world and be funny and build an yeah. audience that way. But I've thought about that. and I thought it'd be fun. Um, That's awesome. Or I thought about being a, and I actually still think about this sometimes, but uh, being a like a flight attendant and being able to travel the world that way. Something that allows you to travel the world and get paid for it. I mean, can't go dude, you and that.
0: me both, you and me both. We actually, I used to have a joke at one of my old law firms. When we would get like super stressed, I would just be like, I would yell out. I need my flight, my flight attendant application. Like that was yeah. my sign that everybody yeah. needed to leave me alone. because so I was about two seconds away from walking out the door. Oh, um, I love great. it. All right. If you could time travel, where would you go and why?
1: I would go, to hmm, man, see there's so many years I could go to. I would probably I feel like I had a good answer to this before, but um, <laughs> I would say, I would go about hmm, I would go about forty fifty years in the future, okay, and uh really just assess my life, my situation, where it's at um because you know I I think about going back to the past all the time but it's like I I don't believe in the concept of changing the past you know like it's already happened like it was meant to happen for the right reason no regrets like make changes for the future but no regrets like I don't regret uh, my college years I feel like it ended up being a great learning tool for who I am today but I would like to travel to the future and just kind of see what happened and why like if I turned out to be really financially successful, but miserable, then it's like, oh man, well, maybe I can fix that. Like you've seen the movie click with Adam Sandler.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. that. Like, oh,
1: he just focused so much on his career and his family died down. And then he got that second chance back in the present. I feel like I would do that. I love
0: it. I love it. If you have a personality trait that has been most helpful to you throughout your life, what has it been?
1: Persistence. Like, you know, I would definitely say that. I mean, you know, I love speaking. I definitely feel like I've gotten a lot better at speaking and communication, things of that nature, but that that's not natural. That's just been me wanting something badly enough and being persistent. Like, you know, you could have looked at, you know, be, me being a talented swimmer back in high school. Like I'm five foot eight on a good day and uh, like, I don't have the natural swimmer Complex, like I just worked for it, I really wanted it, and I did whatever it took to make that happen and I feel like that's gotten me where I am today because when I want something i'll i'll ultimately find a way to make it happen.
0: I love it, and I'm so glad that you said that it's not natural because we see people speak and we're like, Oh, they're just good at this, and we don't oh, no, think I'm about an introvert.
1: I'm an introvert yeah. and, I, and I've noticed that a lot of public speakers, and I don't know why this is the case is that we're introverts but love speaking when it's meaningful.
0: I think that's the main difference is like when it's meaningful, like it's really draining to be around a ton of people when there's no purpose for it. But when you know, you're making an impact mm-hmm. in people's lives, then all of a sudden you are able to push yourself out of that. Cause that's an underlying theme. We are, I think every speaker on the stage Don least she said they were an introvert at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
1: think so because you know, if, if we were sitting here right now, just kind of talking about the weather and fast food, like what everybody does. And it's like, okay, I'm looking at my watch wondering like, okay, when's this going to be over? But now this is like a good, deep conversation about stuff that could potentially transform lives. So I'm like, man, I want to stay. I want to yeah. keep doing this. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. All right. As far as books, do you prefer holding a book and reading it or audiobooks?
1: I prefer hold, holding a book and reading it. I awesome. think you can't beat that. I can't beat having because see here's what happens is if you have an ebook then you're on your phone reading that ebook and then you get a, a message and you go check out that message and you get distracted. The audiobook you're not actually looking at the words, you're usually walking or driving. Now audiobooks are great. I love audiobooks, but I, I feel like I prefer podcasts like this over an audiobook cuz um like number 1, I love having the book in front of me. The other thing about an audiobook is a lot of these narrators, man, they're just like, you can tell that they were just paid literally to read <laughs> the words of the book. It's like, and then this happened. It's like, right. They the most boring people. Now, Gary Vee's audiobook's a different story.
0: Like, oh my he, gosh. Gary Vee's awesome audiobook is almost <laughs> necessary. You know, I almost have a rule that unless it's like something I really, really, really want to listen to, I won't buy an audiobook that's not narrated by the author. Hmm. Um but I I find that when I do audiobooks that if it's a book I really enjoy that I have to go back and read it anyways and then there was no purpose in doing the audiobook. So
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. Or you, the best way to do it is to have the audiobook and you're following along in your regular book. That's that might be a little overkill. Okay.
0: Look at you like <laughs> multitasking. Um talk about an overachiever. Oh, yeah. All right. As far as a morning routine, do you have a morning routine and if so what is it?
1: I do. Yes, I've really been committed to my morning routine actually over the past month. Like this is something really recent that I've kind of taken advantage of. So with my morning routine, I I spend the at least the first and and I'll give a shout out to my mentor Marshall Gillen for this. Spend Love the first Marshall. hour. Oh, you like Marshall? I, yeah. I literally Oh, yeah, Marshall's amazing. Oh, that's great that you What know Marshall. up, Marshall? Oh, you you must have seen him at Thrive. So I did Hopefully. meet him at Thrive, yeah. But uh yeah, so what he was telling me is like, you spend the first hour, no matter what time you wake up, whether you wake up at 5am or 10am, like you spend that first hour with you. So you're not feeling rushed and pressured by other people. Like if you wake up at 5am and you're instantly responding to emails and DMS, like automatically you're telling your subconscious that other people's priorities are more important than your own. So on the flip side, what I do is I spend that first hour of myself, uh, about the first 15 to 20 20- minutes I listen to meditation music and I'll either sit in a chair or like go for a walk and just, just start like existing. Like there's no goal in those first 15 to 20 minutes other than to just exist and like, just be like, wow, I am like, it's the human life, the awakening from subconscious sleep to conscious awakeness. And uh, after that, I spend about 10 minutes looking at my goals, like my goals for the next couple months, the next year, and just, you know, laser focused on those and what i'm going to have to do to get there reciting them aloud then i spend the next like i want to say 15 minutes depending on the length of the video watching something educational something that's going to help me like it could be a, a video on how to close sales it could be a video on how to speak properly it could be a video on uh you know something of that nature where it's more educational in the last five to ten minutes I'll listen to something just like motivational. It could be a motivational talk. It could just be really hype music. And actually, ever since seeing Tony Robbins live, I'll bounce around too. And the reason I do that isn't just to look like an idiot. It's because it actually, the bioenergetics, it actually gets your body involved with your mind. And now I'm fully awake and ready to go. So uh, that's it. actually been working really well for me and uh, you know helps me start off the right way.
0: I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I have had an absolute blast talking to you. Um, why don't you tell everybody if they want to be able to connect you as well, what the best way to do that is?
1: The best two ways would be either Facebook or Instagram. You can uh, follow my Facebook page as Jordan. It's just Jordan, the enhancement coach. That's me on Facebook or it's at enhancement coach. And then on Instagram, it's at Jordan Rubin Speaker. Those are the best ways to get in touch with me. You could send me a message or a direct message and I'm very, very responsive in those. Um, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And uh, website is my next website is actually still kind of getting set up. Obviously, you can go to enhancecoachingmentoring.bigcartel.com and uh, get your copy of Trapped in a Box as well. But I'm setting up another website that's going to t- be... Focus more about me as a speaker, and you know how I can provide value to you or your organization as a speaker. So, uh, yeah, best way I would say is Instagram and Facebook at the moment.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, congrats on the book, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us.
1: Oh no, it's definitely been a pleasure. I appreciate you and in inviting me on the show, and uh, just having that same kind of energy over at Unleash You. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on here